Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONECURCITYCAST20. Hey, it's Claudia, the host of CityCast Portland. A good number of you have asked us how you can help support our work, and we have a way now. I'm excited to share that we have started a new membership program. And let's be real here. It's been an insane couple of years in Portland, and with our new form of government coming in, it's just going to get crazier. It's kind of impossible to keep up with all of that on your own, and this stuff shouldn't feel like homework, which is why we're making you a podcast and newsletter filled with hot takes, local news, and expert-level recommendations every single day. So if you want to keep hearing all the different ways I'm able to mispronounce basic English words or interrupt a knowledgeable guest by laughing at my own jokes, head over to portland.citycast.fm and become a founding member today. And if you join before March 8th, your name will go up on our founding member wall online forever and ever. Also, the first 100 new members will get their name whispered in a secret, silent track on every show in perpetuity. Join today. Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking about the changes to Measure 110 lawmakers are negotiating at this very moment in this legislative short session. We're also sharing some listener comments on the Oregon Bottle Bill and our coverage of local politicians. Joining me on this midweek roundup is our very own executive producer, John Atariani. It's Tuesday, February 27th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Welcome, everyone, to our midweek news roundup. John, how's it going? Going great. How you doing, Claudia? You know, just uh, starting my week. <laughs> so today is the day we talk about some of the headlines we might have missed this past week or even over the weekend. But before we jump into the news, John, have you been seeing all the alerts on Slack we're getting about all our new members? I have, and it is awesome. Uh, so excited. Thank you so much to everybody. Uh, who jumped in on the first day of the new CityCast Portland membership drive. Yeah, and I just wanted to read a little bit of uh, what some people have written in about why they've joined uh, our membership. So Giselle Ondetti wrote, I just love the idea of embracing the good, bad, ugly, and beautiful in Portland. Also, I've got used to hearing your voices, which... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, Stephen Price wrote, I've enjoyed listening to this podcast since it started over a year ago, and it makes me feel closer to my city, so it's time I give back. Oh, my gosh. That's so great. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. All right. Well, on to the news. You've really gone deep on a story. Oh, my gosh. I spent way too much time over the weekend and this morning uh, researching it. I mean, listen to the laundry list of reporters whose work I'm going to be referencing here. Uh, Dirk Vanderhart and Jonathan Levinson at OPB. Ben Botkin at the Oregon Capital Chronicle. Noel Crombie at the Oregonian. Amy Plant and Elise Haas at COIN. And, like, several other stories I've read 
No surprise, I'm talking about the changes to Measure 110. Uh, House Bill 4002. We talked about this really briefly on Friday, right when the news came out. Um, Well, I've done a lot deeper dig on it now and just have a lot to talk about here about how we could change this sort of groundbreaking law. I think we've known for a while that at some level, recriminalization of drugs was going to be coming to Oregon. We have a much better look at what that might look like. Um, one of the compromises that have been struck is that they are now saying that we're looking at jail terms of up to 180 days or mm-hmm. six months. Um, that's up from the original plan, which had allowed for 30-day jail sentences. But Republicans and law enforcement and some local governments really didn't like that. So there's a new version that bumps up those penalties. Um, There's a ton more in it. I feel like I could spend the entire time talking about changes, strengthening addiction programs, increasing access to withdrawal medications, um, more penalties for drug dealers themselves. There's a lot in this bill. You know, something that I read in passing and actually uh, Dirk, 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 Dirk's uh, article (laughs) was that he mentioned something like it might weaken the responsibility of uh, police officers to connect people with services. Is that still true? Yeah. The, the the thing that really sort of crystallized this for me was a great sort of flow chart that was in Elise Haas's article from COIN a couple months back, and we can link to that in the notes. Basically, the way it works right now um, is that police officers have a chance to, like, write people a ticket, you know, yeah. of, like, a Class E misdemeanor. The change that is probably going to go into effect that's being discussed right now um, had a new option where cops could uh, either send them to, like, a diversion program, you know, sort of, like, withdrawal management program, and then if the person who is being arrested declines, then they can actually go to jail. Well, this new draft of it makes that optional, right? Like, the local government can decide whether they want to offer that free pass or um, just send them directly to jail. I mean, you know, there are probably going to be places in the state that are just going to be like, yeah, we don't want to deal with, like, this whole diversion program system. Um, I mean, and there are problems with it as well, just in terms of the capacity of law enforcement and the criminal justice system to be able to manage all of that. Um, I mean, I, I will say this hasn't passed. This isn't law. There's, like, going to be more debate before it gets finalized. But the way it's set right now, like... Yeah, this new draft could funnel people into prison a lot more quickly than what was originally being discussed. Yeah, I know people are frustrated. I know that people just want action. And a a big, you know, when you go into a room and it just looks so just messy, Mm -hmm. it's so easy to just shove everything into a closet and and like shut the door and just be like, ah, done. Yeah. (laughs) But we don't have space in jails. Not only that, like it's everyone's, it's a constitutional right that you get representation. We don't even have that. We don't have public defenders. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, that is the big problem, like the public defense system, which is already super swamped. And there have, I believe there's been Republican lawmakers that have been pointing this out as well of being like, look, like, I don't know if the criminal justice system is going to be able to handle this influx of new people. Exactly. And, you know, you can say like, oh, no, no, they'll get a public defender. They'll have access to these diversion programs. But like if there aren't the people to represent them and to facilitate access to these programs, like 
there's probably going to be a lot of people that are just, you know, yeah. going to end up in jail. It ends up costing more just for them to sit in jail than if we could have just been like, hey, how about we open more beds? Or, you know, we we make recovery a bit more available. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It just It just seems so circular. And I feel like we keep going back to the things that don't work. Yeah. I mean, I, I I think it's worth pointing out where this compromise came from. It wasn't like Democrats were just like, maybe we could make it more harsh. There, mm-hmm. there was a couple impasses on just what this new penalty was going to be. Um, what Republicans were pushing for is a class A misdemeanor, which like puts people in jail for a year. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's also sort of like carry on effects for what this does for people's records and like real questions of like how long these convictions sit on their their records and like, right. you know, how easy it is to get these sorts of things expunged. And with the program that's being proposed right now with diversion programs, there are sort of like automatic checks where people, even if they do end up getting arrested, but then go through one of these diversion programs, there's features that will allow those crimes to be expunged from their record, you know, which in a certain sense is a lot more valuable, you know, like that can really help people down the road. Yeah. And I know that there's a lot of police officers or a lot of um, like law enforcement that, that speak well of like, no, see, we, you know, they get arrested to go to jail and that's actually how they get connected to services. But question mark, you know, yeah, <laughs> question yeah. mark, like, really? Because I, I heard that it's pretty easy to get drugs in jail. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like a lot there's a couple more bills or there's a one in particular that one of our listeners, Laura Grazer, actually wrote in about. Um that has a similar kind of like uh, paradox where you're just like, okay, let's make things a harsher penalty, um, but we also don't have the, the the prosecutors for this. And it's, I don't know if you saw this. They're trying to like make assaulting he- healthcare workers a bigger offense. Yeah. Yeah. And so like they're just like, yeah, but most of the people who are acting up in that way are just are psychotic. They're out of their mind. Mm -hmm. They're like on drugs. And it's the same thing, you know, but it's like nurses are also saying that they, you know, that they they don't even want to go to work. And so, like, I feel like these small fixes, I guess something has to move, John, but like, I don't understand how it's going to make anything better. Ultimately. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously this big measure 110 revision bill is taking up a lot of oxygen. Like we've talked about it several times on the show. And I'm, I'm glad that you're pointing out there's other things that are moving through the legislature as well. Um, something else I wanted to point out, Senate Bill 1553, which cr- is criminalizing the use of illicit drugs on public transportation. That just passed the Senate as well last week. And like, you know, almost nobody's been talking about it. So looking at where this goes next, um, we're taping on Monday morning. There's actually going to be a hearing this evening, Claudia, about this bill. Oh, wow. Um, where a bunch of people are going to weigh in. And I went and looked at the legislature's website because you can sort of see who's going to be commenting and whether they're in favor of the bill or not. Uh, this morning when I checked, there were eight people who are going to be commenting supporting these changes, three who are neutral, and 118 people opposed to these Whoa. changes that are on the schedule to come tonight. I wonder if there's any providers, like medical providers, you know, just yeah. like anyone who's actually like working on the front lines explaining why this won't work. I will say, though, the little Republican in me <laughs> that we've talked about is happy about harsher penalties for drug dealers. Yeah. I mean, ah, 
that you know, guys. But like separating drug dealers from drug users, like there's a you know. There's, yeah, like, yeah. Drug dealers, maybe <laughs> yeah, they yeah. should go to jail. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or or you know doing drugs in public. Like mm-hmm. again, I will say, like we're not we can't just like walk around with a beer in our hand. Why are people you know like why is it legally okay for someone to just smoke fentanyl again? Like. These are things that I'm just like, yeah, we we should fix that. Yeah. I mean, and like even with this proposal that's in front of us, like – who knows what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there has been a lot of political effort in this one to sort of get the votes lined up ahead of time. This could be, you know, voted on by the end of the week. It's possible that by the by Friday we know what's going on with this bill. But I think that's very unlikely. And, like, even though this was a compromise to sort of appease state Republicans – There's no guarantee that Republicans are on board with this bill yet either. Um, Representative Kevin Mannix has already put out another 145-page alternate idea on what the amendments should be. Um, I I think that there's probably still a lot of political wrangling to go through to Mm -hmm. get to what the final version of this is going to be. But it needs to happen by March 10th. Because that's the end of this little mini legislative session. So within a couple weeks, we will have some sense either way what's going on here. Cool. Well, John, thanks for reading all those articles for us. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) I, you know, like my mind goes blank when I think about this bill. And like that just shows how overwhelming it is for me. One thing I did want to point out, though, that when I was reading on this, I caught a headline uh, over in Idaho. They're putting a new bill into the legislature that would create a $420 mandatory minimum fine for marijuana possession, which— 420 that is so clever. Hilarious. But two, like, you know, <laughs> shows where our drug enforcement policy conversation is as opposed to, like, other near, nearby states. Like, I'm glad we're not having that conversation here. I hate creative parenting. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of yucks in the the Idaho legislature. Jesus. Anyhow, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're digging into the mailbag. It's been a while since we've had a chance to dig into our mailbag. So I also wanted to go through a few emails and and voicemails that we've gotten uh, This one in particular actually has to do about the drug crisis uh, through the bottle bill. I don't know if Mm -hmm. you remember a a few weeks ago, Willamette Week reporter Nigel Jaquist wrote about uh, how some city and business leaders are blaming our bottle deposit bill for exacerbating the fentanyl crisis. And some have suggested pain in food vouchers rather than money. If you haven't read it, it's a really interesting read. So Devlin wrote, This article is absolutely ridiculous. I can't believe Nigel wasted so much time writing and investigating this, which, by the way, like, he's a reporter. Back (laughs) off. (laughs) But but to argue that addicts and houseless people shouldn't be able to get cash so easily from the bottles is to argue that addicts should not receive cash in any way whatsoever, which is essentially to say that they should just drop dead. How is this topic even controversial? It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. He also wrote, by the way, John was right. So I think he thinks you also think that. Well, I mean, I think that this is a ass backwards way of doing policy for sure. Like, oh yeah, like it is the 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 dumbest and least effective way to address addiction in Oregon, if that is what it is actually trying to do. Yeah, for those who again didn't read, uh, it basically takes like ten cans to get uphill of fentanyl or I don't even know. This is how like square I am. Is it uphill? I don't know. Anyhow, but it doesn't take that much 
for, for people to get this drug. So Jim had this to say, people are throwing their cans out, which is the whole point of the bill. Don't throw your cans out, bring them back for the deposit. He thinks that basically the, the deposit should be at 38 cents. So we would be paying more. 38 cents per can. Yeah, if we were huh. to go, if we were to use the inflation calculator, he's like, according to, you know, uh, the Bureau of Label Statistics, CPI inflation calculator, five cents in 1972 is now worth 38 cents. Mm-hmm. So people don't throw out $20 bills, but apparently dimes are tossed out. Let's raise the deposit and stop the littering. I kind of love that idea. And that is, <laughs> and you know, and that gets to the, the original spirit of why this was created, which was to reduce litter. To stop so, littering. Yeah. If you, if, you, if you made those tin cans worth a little bit more money. Yeah. Yeah. The other uh, topic we brought up was like, where's all this deposit money even going? Because it's not state owned. It is like a private sector. It's a nonprofit, but we have no idea how much money they're making. And if you're not getting your can deposit back, uh, where is all that money going? So Emily had this to say. Hi, uh, my name is Emily and um, I love the podcast. Um, Talking about the bottle bill, one thing that didn't come up, um, retailers have to pay the deposit. So when I order beer or non-alcoholic drinks, I have to pay the deposit for it, um, separate from the cost of the item. So I'm assuming the distributor has to pay it too. So who are they paying that to? And I don't get back everything that I sell. So it's a lost cost for me. So who gets the money that is being charged? And then is it supposed to like all go back to the people returning cans and does it? And how does that all work? And that is my question. It's so funny, Claudio. When we initially proposed discussing this story, I was like, yeah, this is straightforward. It's about the bottle bill. And you're like, no, 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 this is complex. This is really deep. This goes like (laughs) all the way in. And it's so true how something that looks so simple on the surface can like have these like nuances and nuances that like turn it into something that's way more complicated. For sure. Well, I just want to thank Devlin, Jim, and Emily for taking the time to write into us uh, about this conversation that we had. Um, before we leave, I, I, I want to read two more, if that's okay, John. Yeah, bring it on. Okay. So a couple of weeks ago, I read a tweet during a Friday news roundup that accused me of being a closet Republican. I don't know if you remember that. It also said John was great, but that's neither here nor there. Widely disputed at this point, yeah. So Alan Gratz wrote in response to that discussion, subject line, Claudia is great. (laughs) So Alan says, I wanted to chime in and say that I think the reason someone might think that Claudia is a closet Republican is actually a strength of the show. Rather than just presenting one view of a Portland issue, CityCast Portland, and Claudia in particular, is really great about explaining all the reasons people are on one side of an issue or another and empathizing with where everyone is coming from. One of the things we seem to have lost in the social media era is any sense of nuance when talking about the issues that plague us locally and nationally. CityCast Portland brings that nuance. Keep up the good work. Keep up the good nuanced work is what he actually wrote. Isn't that nice? Thank you. That's so kind. But also just real quick, Alan mentioned that he and his wife are moving to town this March. This whole time he's been listening to us. He doesn't even live here. He's just been like beefing up. Oh my gosh. That isn't that awesome? That is the way to drop into a new city and just like hit the ground running. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, welcome you too. And I hope the move goes smoothly. Um, and just because we do try and keep a balanced outlook, here's another letter. Wanna read this one, John? Because it's it's uh someone who's also named John. I figured that you guys would have a kinship of sorts. Uh, yeah, this one's from John L. Um, not all Johns are related. This is true, Claudia. Um <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> Can you all cut it with the clear bias for Carmen Rubio? It's extremely irritating to hear journalists like yourselves so evidently trying to prop up Carmen Rubio's mayoral campaign. I really love to hear some actual conservative comments on the show. Commissioners Dan Ryan and Renee Gonzalez were elected by a part of Portland, which you are totally ignoring or even dismissive of. Um, I guess I, I will lead off by saying, uh, Mr. Gonzalez, I sent your staff an email last week. We'd love to have you on the show. Get at us. Yeah, we've tried so hard to get Gonzalez on the show several times. I, I've even met up with him in, at City Hall. Remember that, John? Yeah. And he was mm -hmm. super nice. I just don't think he's coming on. I just don't think it's going the the, the door is wide open. We would love to have oh, you. Yeah. But also, um, thank you, John. I think you're right. We are biased. We're totally biased. But I hate to break it to everyone. Like, all news is biased. Like, even NPR, they're just smug and biased. Um, even if you're trying your hardest, a reporter's worldview is going to sink into what you're reporting. Like, who, who you choose to talk to, like, what pictures you choose, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's something that newsrooms are actually looking really closely at, but mainly they're just embracing the fact that, yeah, we're biased. But um, I, I do think that John L. does make another fair point. I've been taking a lot more jabs at Commissioner Rene Gonzalez ever since it was found out he lied about being physically accosted on the max. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, once I found out he voted against birth safe glass for new city developments, let's just say he's been making it uh, really hard for me not to be biased over here, you know? And we have been talking a lot more about Commissioner Carmen Rubio, but a big reason is because her bureaus have been making the biggest moves as of late. I feel like for a whole year and a half, we never mentioned her name. <laughs> nothing to report. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now it's like, yeah, you know, I just also want to make it clear that John L has been listening for a while. He didn't just dip in and decide we're like now running Carmen Rubio's campaign. So if any of our more conservative listeners who've been rocking with us as long as John L have any ideas for people or topics you want to hear on the show, just shoot us an email. We'll talk to anyone. Yeah, that yeah. isn't a hateful bigot. And coming attractions, we've got Carmen Rubio coming on the show. <laughs> Carmen Rubio is going to be here on Thursday. Isn't that so, so. funny? <laughs> John's like, can you stop talking about Carmen Rubio? And it's like, well, Carmen Rubio will be on the Carmen show. Carmen in the house coming up later this week. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so if you have any thoughts you'd like to share, send them over to Portland at citycast.fm. Remember, you don't have to agree with us. We actually love hearing when you don't because it actually does make for better shows. We listen to what you guys have to say. We expand our coverage. We think about stuff differently. Um, I hate to be corny, but if you listen to the show, I'm just assuming that you care about Portland and you care about your community and you want to help make things better. And so that's where I'm reading stuff from. I never hear like, Claudia, bad. John, great. You know, I still think you're great. <laughs> Sucking up to the host. There you go. Oh, that gets going to get you nowhere, John. <laughs> well, John, thanks again for hanging out with me. My pleasure. Appreciate all the research that you did. And thanks to everyone who wrote in. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Well, that's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs>